Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange ride. to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And I have lost my mind. That she has. (laughs) Um, You've been having fun all day. It's Jeebus. Jeebus. Praise Jeebus. Oh. We got this tent revival going on across the street, and I've been listening to Christian music all day, playing on the loudspeaker. Oh, I feel feel the power of Jeebus. It's putting you back into your Oklahoma accent. It is. <laughs> you can't talk about Jeebus without an Oklahoma accent. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. So, before we get started on this week's episode, let's go ahead and listen to one of our Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows. Epic history. Like the Greeks are like on the beach, they're like doing burpees or something. <laughs> the Persians sail up, and they've got like they've got like little spears and pomegranates and stuff, and they're like, hey, wanna be part of our cool empire? In-depth commentary. Cutting edge expert drunken analysis. <laughs> two people that you don't know anything about. It's ad hoc history with Asher and Luxa. Siblings extraordinaire. Hey, just real quick, like, if you were emperor, would you choose me as second emperor? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. Learning. It's not pretty. It's not nice. And if you want to talk about justification for war and all these things, but when you get to how the sausage is actually made, this is it. It's ad hoc history. It's not the history podcast you wanted. It's the history podcast you deserve. All right. So this week is a special show because we were going to have a special guest who didn't show up. So we have found another show to do so that you guys still have something to listen to. And I will let Dave explain (laughs) what we're going to be doing tonight. All right. This is going to be like an exploration Into the book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. Now, Manly P. Hall is widely regarded as a sage and teacher, steeped in the wisdom of antiquity, and was one of the leading esoteric scholars of the 20th century. In 1934, he founded the Philosophical Research Society in Los Angeles, which continues to publish Hall's many works and pursue his educational mission. Now, Manly P. Hall's The Seeker Teachings of All Ages is a codex to the ancient occult and esoteric traditions of the world. 
Its hundreds of entries shine a rare light on some of the most fascinating and closely held aspects of myth, religion, and philosophy that resound from antiquity to the present day. So I'm going to start with just flipping it open like a bibliomancy and begin reading and then see where the journey takes us. Buckle right. your seatbelts. We're going to have some man pee hall. Whoa, hey. This is going to be smelly. I don't want no man pee hole. <laughs> I've got one. I don't need another. <laughs> I didn't say a hole. I said hole. <laughs> the Chemical Marriage. The self-admitted author of The Chemical Marriage, Johann Valentin Andrea, born in Württemberg in 1586, was 28 years of age when that work was first published. It was presumably written about 12 years prior to its publication, or when the author was 15 or 16 years old. The fact is almost incredible that one so young could produce a volume containing the wealth of symbolic thought and philosophy hidden between the lines of the chemical marriage. This book makes the earliest known reference to Christian Rosencruz, and is generally regarded as the third of the series of original Rosicrucian manifestos. As a symbolic work, the book itself is hopelessly irreconceivable with the statements made by Andrea concerning it. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Question. Yes. Does the chemical marriage come after the chemical romance? That I... (laughs) I see what you're doing there. (laughs) I believe it came before. Oh, so you get married and then you fall in love. Yeah. I gotcha. Just, Just wanted to clarify. The story of the chemical marriage relates in detail a series of incidents occurring to an aged man. Presumably the father, CRC, of the Fama and Confessio. If Father CRC was born in 1378, as stated in the Confessio, and is identical with the Christian Rosencruz of the chemical marriage, he was elevated to the dignity of a knight of the Golden Stone in the 81st year of his life. That would be 1459. Now is the Knight of the Golden Stone held as highly as the Knight of the Round Table. Or Knight of the Golden Dawn. Ooh. In the light of his own statements, it is inconceivable. Inconceivable! (laughs) That Andrea could have been Father Rosie Cross. I know the Rosie Crosses. Yeah. The Rosie Christians. Yeah. Right? So, Uh uh, okay. Okay. Absolutely. I'm on the same page. So, ah, so they were the. Oh, sorry, <laughs> they're the ones who went to Oak Island. Yes, and they also uh, uh, did other things. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> I just made Chad choke on his Dr Pepper. Choke on Jeebus. Reminds me of that episode where we were talking about an author, and you were like, "He wrote about. He wrote about." Well, words. <laughs> and I was like, yes, very good. <laughs> I may not have a lot of input, but I got the most important. I point out the obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so many figures found in the various books on symbolism published in the early part of the 17th century bear a striking resemblance to the characters and episodes in The Chemical Marriage. The alchemical wedding may prove to be the key to the riddle 
of Baconian Rosicrucianism. The presence in the German text of the chemical marriage of some worlds <coughs> of some words in English indicates its author to have been conversant also with that language. The following summary of the main episodes of the seven days of the chemical marriage will give the reader a fairly comprehensive idea of the profundity of its symbolism. Marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> Christian Rosengrutz, having prepared in his heart the Paschal lamb together with a small unleavened loaf, was disturbed while at prayer one evening before Easter by a violent storm which threatened to demolish not only his little house, but the very hill on which it stood. In the midst of the tempest, he was touched on the back, and turning, he beheld a glorious woman with wings, filled with eyes, and robed in sky-colored garments spangled with stars. In one hand she held a trumpet, and in the other a bundle of letters in every language. Handing a letter to CRC, she immediately ascended into the air, at the same time blowing upon her trumpet a blast which shook the house. Upon the seal of the letter was a curious cross, and the words, In hoc signo vinces. Within, traced in letters of gold on an azure field, was an invitation to a royal wedding. So, she was a beautiful woman with wings and lots of eyes. Lots of eyes. Did she have a mouth to blow this trumpet on, or did she blow the trumpet with her eyes? The wings were filled with eyes. Oh, the wings had eyes on her. I was ex- like... I don't know, I just was seeing a face of eyes and no other features, but that makes sense. CRC was deeply moved by the invitation because it was the fulfillment of a prophecy, which he had received seven years before. But so unworthy did he feel that he was paralyzed with fear. At length, after resorting to prayer, he sought sleep. In his dreams, he found himself in a loathsome dungeon with a multitude of other men all bound and fettered with great chains. The grievousness of their sufferings was increased as they stumbled over each other in the darkness. Suddenly from above came the sound of trumpets. The cover of the dungeon was lifted, and a ray of light pierced the gloom. Framed in the light stood a hoary-headed man, who announced that a rope would be lowered seven times, and whoever could cling to the rope would be drawn up to freedom. They were being fished. (laughs) (laughs) It puts the lotion on its skin, or else it gets the hose again. Great, fuck me. I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me hard. Great confusion ensued. All sought to grasp the rope, and many were pulled away from it by others. It's not a rope. (laughs) Don't trust it. CRC despaired of being saved, but suddenly the rope swung towards him, and grasping it, he was raised from the dungeon. An aged woman called the Ancient Matron wrote in a golden yellow book the names of those drawn forth, and each of the redeemed was given for resemblance a piece of gold bearing the symbol of the sun and the letters D 
ALS. CRC, who had been injured while clinging to the rope, found it difficult to walk. The aged woman bade him not to worry, but to thank God who had permitted him to come into so high a light. Thereupon trumpets sounded, and CRC awoke. But so vivid was the dream (coughs) that he was still sensible of the wounds received while asleep. With renewed faith, CRC arose and prepared himself for the hermetic marriage. He donned a white linen coat and bound a red ribbon crosswise over his shoulders. In his hat, he stuck four roses, and for food, he carried bread, water, and salt. Yummy. Before leaving his cottage, he knelt and vowed that whatever knowledge was revealed to him, he would devote to the service of his neighbor. He then departed from his house with joy. I will say, I have done a mini ritual with bread and salt. The water is needed, but the bread without salt's much better. <laughs> now, what did DLS stand for? Don't lose sleep? That I don't know. That is a good question, though. I wrote that down as well. Dick looks small. <laughs> don't lick salt. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lose sleep. Donkey looks sexy. (laughs) (laughs) I just, that was something that stood out. So I was like, well, what does that mean? What stood out to me most was how he was dressed. The white linen with the red ribbon crosswise over his shoulders. That's the flag of, uh, of the Rosicrucians. Oh, is it? Um, the red X over okay. the white field. <coughs> or maybe it's the flag of Portugal or the uh, was, It's something like that. I know what you're talking about. I know I'm not big on my flag history. Alabama. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that Bama flag <coughs> looks like. Unless you're talking about the football flag and then it's just red with an A on it. Mm. <laughs> A stands for apple. <laughs> now, I could have sworn the Portugal... Um, Maybe I'm thinking of the white background with a red cross. I see. I was thinking Switzerland. Yeah, because theirs is a white with a red cross, but it's red with a white cross. Is yeah. it? It's red with white and a cross on it. England is white with a red cross. Damn it! I know what the American flag looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Barely. <laughs> it's got some starps. Starps. It's got some starps and some stars. <laughs> oh my goodness. Jeeves is taking oh, over God. my brain. <laughs> it's all we day. <laughs> all right, the second day. As he entered the forest surrounding his little house, it seemed to CRC that all nature had joyously prepared for the wedding. As he proceeded singing merrily, he came to a green heath in which stood three great cedars one bearing a tablet with an inscription describing the four paths that led to the palace of the king. The first, short and dangerous. The second, circuitous. The third, a pleasant and royal road. And the fourth, suitable only for incorruptible bodies. Weary and perplexed, CRC decided to rest, and cutting a slice of bread was about to partake thereof. When a white dove 
begged it from him. The dove was at once attacked by a raven, and in his efforts to separate the birds, CRC unknowingly ran a considerable distance along one of the four paths, that leading southward. A terrific wind preventing him from retracing his steps, the wedding guest reassigned himself to the loss of his bread and continued along the road until he espied in the distance a great gate. The sun being low, he hastened towards the portal, upon which, among other figures, was a tablet bearing the words, Procol Hink Procol Ait Profani. A gatekeeper, in sky-colored habit, immediately asked CRC for his letter of invitation, and on receiving it, bade him enter, and requested that he purchase a token. After describing himself as a brother of the Red Rosy Cross, CRC received in exchange for his water bottle a golden disc bearing the letters SC. Night drawing near, the wanderer hastened on to a second gate, guarded by a lion, and to which was affixed a tablet with the words Date et Dabator Volis, where he presented a letter given him by the first gatekeeper, being urged to poke a to purchase a token bearing the letters S.M. He gave his little package of salt and then hastened on the reach the palace gates before they were locked for the night. A beautiful virgin called Virgo Lucifera was extinguishing the castle lights as CRC approached, and he was barely able to squeeze through the closing gates. As they closed, they caught part of his coat, which he was forced to leave behind. Here his name was written in the Lord Bridegroom's little vellum book, and he was presented with a new pair of shoes and also a token bearing the letters S.P.N. He was then conducted by pages to a small chamber where the ice-gray lock were cut from the crown of his head by invisible barbers, after which he was ushered into a spatial hall where a goodly number of kings, princes, and commoners were assembled. At the sound of trumpets, each seated himself at the table, taking a position corresponding to his dignity, so that CRC received a very humble seat, most of the pseudo-philosophers present being vain pretenders. The banquet became an orgy, which, however, suddenly ceased at the sound of stately and inspired music. For nearly half an hour no one spoke. Then amidst a great sound the door of the dining hall swung open, and thousands of light tapers held by invisible hands entered. These were followed by the two pages lighting the beautiful Virgo Lucifera seated on a self-moving throne. Did you say poo pages? Two pages. Two pages, okay. <laughs> I, was, oh. <laughs> I was confused. I was like, what is this? They got an orgy now. There's guys <coughs> carrying candles with poo. and <laughs> <laughs> like Some demented Harry Potter shit going on in this castle. <laughs> it's the... Uh, Crowley Mass. <laughs> <laughs> the white and gold-robed virgin then arose and announced that to prevent the admission of unworthy persons to the mystical wedding, 
A set of scales would be erected the following day, upon which each guest would be weighed to determine his integrity. Those unwilling to undergo this ordeal, she stated, should remain in the dining hall. She then withdrew, but many of the tapers stayed to accompany the guests to their quarters for the night. That sounds very ancient Egyptian. Weighing their integrity? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Most of those present were presumptuous enough to believe that they could be safely weighed, but nine, including CRC, felt their shortcomings so deeply that they feared the outcome and remained in the hall while the others were led away to their sleeping chambers. These nine were bound with ropes and left alone in darkness. CRC then dreamed that he saw many men suspended over the earth by threads, and among them flew an aged man who, cutting here and there a thread, caused many to fall to earth. Those who in arrogance had soared to lofty heights accordingly fell a greater distance and sustained more serious injury than the more humble ones who, failing but a short distance, often landed without mishap. Considering his dream to be a good omen, CRC related it to a companion, continuing in discourse with him until dawn. Soon after the dawn, the trumpet sounded, and the Virgo Lucifera, arrayed in red velvet, girded with a white sash, and crowned with a laurel wreath, entered accompanied by two hundred men in red and white livery. She intimated to CRC and his eight companions that they might fare better than the other self-satisfied guest. Golden scales were then hung in the midst of the hall, and near them were placed seven weights, one good-sized, four small, and two very large. The men in livery, each carried a naked sword and a strong rope, were divided into seven groups, and from each group was chosen a captain who was given charge of one of the weights. Having remounted her high throne, Virgo Lucifera ordered the ceremony to begin. The first to step on the scales was an emperor, so virtuous that the balances did not tip until six weights had been placed upon the opposite end. He was therefore turned over to the sixth group. The rich and poor alike stood upon the scales, but only a few passed the test successfully. To these were given velvet robes and wreaths of laurel, after which they were seated upon the steps of Virgo Lucifera's throne. Those who failed were ridiculed and scourged. The Inquisition being finished, one of the captains begged Virgo Lucifera to permit the nine men who had declared themselves unworthy also to be weighed. And this caused CRC anguish and fear. Of the first seven, one succeeded and was greeted with joy. CRC was the eighth, and he not only withstood all the weights, but even when three men hung on the opposite end of the beam, he could not be moved. A page cried out, That is he! CRC was quickly set at liberty and permitted to release one of the captives. He chose the first emperor. Virgo Lucifera then requested the red roses that CRC carried, 
which he immediately gave her. The ceremony of the scales ended about ten o'clock in the forenoon. After agreeing upon the penalties to be imposed upon those whose shortcomings had been thus exposed, a dinner was served to all. The few successful artists, including CRC, were given the chief seats, after which the golden fleece and a flying lion were bestowed upon them in the name of the bridegroom. Virgo Lucifera then presented a magnificent goblet to the guest, stating that the king had requested all to share its contents. Following this, CRC and his companions were taken out upon a scaffolding, where they beheld the various penalties suffered by those who failed. Before leaving the palace, each of the rejected guests was given a, a draught of forgetfulness. The elect then returned to the castle, where to each was assigned a learned page, who conducted them through the various parts of the edifice. CRC saw many things his companions were not privileged to behold, including the royal sepulchre, where he learned, quote, more than is extant in all books, unquote. He also visited a magnificent library and an observatory containing a great globe 30 feet in diameter and with all the country of the world marked upon it. At supper, the various guests propounded enigmas, and CRC solved the riddle which Virgo Lucifera asked concerning her own identity. Then entered the dining hall two youths and six virgins beautifully robed, followed by a seventh virgin wearing a coronet. The latter was called the Duchess, and was mistaken for the hermetic bride. The Duchess told CRC that he had received more than the others, therefore should make a greater return. The Duchess then asked of each of the virgins to pick up one of the seven weights, which still remained in the great room. <laughs> to Virgo, Lucifera was given the heaviest weight, which was hung in the queen's chamber during the singing of a hymn. In the second chamber, the first virgin hung her weight during a similar ceremony. Thus they proceeded from room to room until the weights had been disposed of. The duchess then presented her hand to CRC and his companions, and followed by her virgins withdrew. Pages then conducted the guests to their sleeping chambers. The one assigned to CRC was hung with rare tapestries and with beautiful paintings. The fourth day. After washing and drinking in the garden from a fountain which bore several inscriptions, among them one reading, Drink, brothers, and live. The guests, led by Virgo Lucifera, ascended the 365 steps of the royal winding stairs. The guests were given wreaths of laurel, and a curtain being raised found themselves in the presence of the king and queen. CRC was awestruck by the glory of the throne room, and especially by the magnificence of the queen's robes, which were so dazzling that he could not gaze upon them. Each guest was presented to the king by one of the virgins, and after this ceremony, the Virgo Lucifera made a short speech in which she recited the achievements of the honest artists and begged that each be questioned as to whether he had properly fulfilled her duty. 
old Atlas, then stepped forward and in the name of their royal majesties greeted the intrepid band of philosophers and assured Virgo Lucifera that she should receive a royal reward. The length of the throne room was five times its width. To the west was a great porch in which stood three thrones, the central one elevated. On each throne sat two persons. On the first, an ancient king with a young consort. On the third, a black king with a veiled matron beside him. And on the central throne, two young persons over whose head hung a large and costly crown, about which hovered a little Cupid, who shot his arrows first at the two lovers and then about the hall. Before the queen a book bound in black velvet lay on a small altar, on which were golden decorations. Beside this were a burning candle, a celestial globe, a small striking watch, a little crystal pipe, from which ran a stream of clear blood-red liquor, and a skull with a white serpent crawling in and out of the orbits. After their presentations, the guests retired down the winding stairs to the great hall. <coughs> Later, the Virgo Lucifera announced that a comedy was to be performed for the benefit of the six royal guests in a building called the House of the Sun. CRC and his companions formed part of a royal procession, which after a considerable walk arrived at the theater. The play was in seven acts, and after its happy ending, all returned through the garden and up the winding stairs to the throne room. CRC noticed the young king was very sad, and that at the banquet following, he often sent meat to the white serpent in the skull. The feast over, the young king, holding in his hand the little black book from the altar, asked the guest if they would all be true to him through prosperity and adversity, and when they tremblingly agreed, he asked that each should sign his name in the little black book as proof of his fealty. The royal persons then drank from the little crystal fountain, the others afterwards doing likewise. This was called the draught of silence. The royal persons then sadly shook hands with all present. Suddenly, a little bell tinkled, and immediately the kings and queens took off their white garments and donned black ones. The room was hung in sable draperies, and the tables were removed. The eyes of the royal persons were bound, with six black taffeta scarfs and six coffins were placed in the center of the room. An executioner, a moor, robed in black and bearing an axe entered, and beheaded in turn each of the six royal persons. The blood of each was caught in a golden goblet, which was placed in the coffins with the body. The executioner was also decapitated, and his head placed in a small chest. That took a weird turn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Virgo Lucifera, after assuring CRC and his companions that all should be well if they were faithful and true, ordered the pages to conduct them to their rooms for the night, 
while she remained to watch with the dead. About midnight, CRC awakened suddenly, and looking from his window, beheld seven ships sailing upon a lake. Above each hovered a flame. These he believed to be the spirits of the beheaded. When the ships reached shore, the Virgo Lucifera met them, and on each of six of the vessels was placed a covered coffin. As soon as the coffin had thus had been thus disposed of, the lights were extinguished, and the flames passed back over the lake, so that there remained but one light for a watch in each ship. After beholding this strange ceremony, CRC returned to his bed and slept till morning. The Fifth Day Rising at daybreak and entreating his page to show him other treasures of the palace, CRC was conducted down many steps to a great iron door bearing a curious inscription, which he carefully copied. Passing through, he found himself in the royal treasury, the light in which came entirely from some huge carbuncles. In the center stood the triangular sepulcher of Lady Venus. Lifting a copper door in the pavement, the page ushered CRC into a crypt, where stood a great bed upon which, when his guide had raised the coverlets, CRC beheld the body of Venus. Led by his page, CRC then rejoined his companion, saying nothing to them of his experience. Virgo Lucifera, robed in black velvet and accompanied by her virgins, then led the guest out into the courtyard where stood six coffins, eight with eight pallbearers. Oh, each with eight pallbearers. CRC was the only one of the group of artists who suspected the royal bodies were no longer in these coffins. The coffins were lowered into graves and great stones rolled over them. The Virgo Lucifera then made a short oration in which she exhorted each to assist in restoring the royal persons to life, declaring that they should journey with her to the Tower of Olympus, where the medicines necessary to the resurrection of the six royal persons could alone be found. CRC and his companions followed Virgo Lucifera to the seashore, were all embarked on seven ships, disposed according to a certain strange order. As the ships sailed across the lake and through a narrow channel into the open sea, they were attended by sirens, nymphs, and sea goddesses, who in honor of the wedding presented a great and beautiful pearl to the royal couple. When the ships came in sight of the Tower of Olympus, Virgo Lucifero ordered the discharge of cannon to signal their approach. Immediately a white flag appeared upon the tower, and a small gilded penance containing an ancient man, the warden of the tower, with his white-clad guards came out to meet the ships. The Tower of Olympus stood upon an island, which was exactly square and was surrounded by a great wall. Entering the gate, the group was led to the bottom of the central tower, which contained an excellent laboratory where the guests were fain to beat and wash plants, precious stones, and all sorts of things, extract their juices and essence, and put these latter into glasses. Virgo Lucifera set the artist to work so arduously that they felt that th- 
they were mere drudges. When the day's work was finished, each was assigned a mattress on the stone floor. Being unable to sleep, CRC wandered about contemplating the stars. Chancing upon a flight of steps leading to the top of the wall, he climbed up and looked out upon the sea. Remaining here for some time, about midnight he beheld seven flames, which passing over the sea towards him, gathered themselves on the top of the spire of the central tower. Simultaneously the winds arose, the sea became tempestuous, and the moon was covered with clouds. With some fear, CRC ran down the stairs and returned to the tower, and lying down on his mattress was lulled to sleep by the sound of a gently flowing fountain in the laboratory. The Sixth Day The next morning, the aged warden of the tower, after examining the work performed by the wedding guest in the laboratory and finding it satisfactory, caused ladders, ropes, and large wings to be brought forth and addressed the assembled artist thus, My dear sons, one of these three things must each of you this day constantly bear about with him. Lots were cast, and to CRC, much to his chagrin, fell a heavy ladder. Those who secured wings had them fastened to their backs so cunningly that it was impossible to detect that they were artificial. The age warden then locked the artist in the lower room of the tower, but in short time a round hole was uncovered in the ceiling, and Virgo Lucifera invited all to ascend. Those with wings flew at once through the opening. Those with ropes had many difficulties, while CRC with his ladder made reasonable speed. On the second floor, the wedding guest, musicians, and Virgo Lucifera gathered about a fountain-like contrivance containing the bodies of the six royal persons. Virgo Lucifera then placed the moor's head in a kettle-like receptacle in the upper part of the fountain and poured upon it the substances repaired on the previous day in the laboratory. The virgins placed lamps beneath. These substances, when they boiled, passed out through the holes on the sides of the kettle and falling upon the bodies in the fountains below dissolved them. The six royal bodies having been reduced thus to a liquid state, a tap was opened in the lower end of the fountain, and the fluid drained into an immense golden globe, which when filled was of great weight. All but the wedding guest then retired, and shortly a hole in the ceiling opened as before, and the guest ascended pell-mell to the third floor. Here the globe were suspended by a strong chain. The walls of the apartment were of glass, and mirrors were so arranged that the sun's rays were concentrated upon the central globe, thus causing it to become very hot. Later the sun's rays were deflected, and the globe permitted to cool, after which it was cut open with a diamond, revealing a beautiful white egg. Carrying this with her, Virgo Lucifera departed. The guest, having ascended through another trap door, found themselves upon the fourth floor, where stood a square kettle filled with silver stand warmed by a gentle fire. The great white egg was placed upon the warm sand to mature. In a short time it cracked, and there emerged an ugly, ill-tempered bird, 
which was fed with the blood of the beheaded royal persons diluted with prepared water. At each feeding, its feathers changed color. From black, they turned to white, and at last they become varicolored, the disposition of the bird improving the while. Dinner was then served, after which Virgo Lucifera departed with the bird. The guest ascended with ropes, ladders, and wings to the fifth floor, when a bath colored with fine white powder had been prepared for the bird, which which enjoyed bathing in it until the lamps placed beneath the bath caused the water to become uncomfortably warm. (laughs) When the heat had removed all the bird's feathers, it was taken out. But the fire continued until nothing remained in the bath save a sediment in the form of a blue stone. (laughs) This was later pounded up and made into a pigment. With this, all of the bird except the head was painted. (laughs) The guests thereupon ascended to the sixth floor, where stood a small altar resembling that of the king's throne room. The bird drank from the little fountain, and was fed with the blood of the white serpent which crawled through the openings in the skull. The sphere by the altar revolved continuously. The watch struck one, two, and then three, at which time the bird, laying its neck upon the book, suffered itself to be decapitated. (laughs) Its body was burned to ashes and was placed in a box of cypress wood. Virgo Lucifera told CRC and three of his comrades that they were lazy and sluggish laborators and would therefore be excluded from the seventh room. Musicians were sent for, who with cornets were to blow the four in ridicule from the chamber. CRC and his three companions were disheartened until the musicians told them to be of good cheer and led them up a winding stair to the eighth floor of the tower directly beneath the roof. <coughs> here the old wooden, here the old warden, standing upon a little round furnace, welcomed them and congratulated them upon being chosen by Virgo Lucifera for this greater work. Virgo Lucifera then entered, and after laughing at the perplexity of her guest, emptied the ashes of the bird into another vessel filling the cypress box with useless matter. She thereupon returned to the seventh floor, presumably to mislead those assembled there by setting them to work upon the false ashes in the box. CRC and his three friends were set to work moistening the bird's ashes with specially prepared water until the mixture became of dough-like consistency, after which it was heated and molded into two miniature forms. Later, these were opened, disclosing two bright and almost transparent human images about four inches high, one male and the other female. These tiny forms were laid upon satin cushions and fed drop by drop with the blood of the bird until they grew to normal size and of great beauty. Though the bodies had the consistency of flesh, they showed no signs of life, for the soul was not in them. The bodies were next surrounded with torches, and their faces covered with silk. Virgo Lucifera then appeared, bearing two curious white garments. 
The virgins also entered, among them six bearing great trumpets. A trumpet was placed upon the mouth of one of the two figures, and CRC saw a tiny hole open in the dome of the tower, and a ray of light descend through the tube of the trumpet and enter the body. (gasps) This process was repeated three times on each body. The two newly ensouled forms were then removed upon a traveling couch. In about half an hour, the young king and queen awakened, and the Virgo Lucifera presented them with the white garments. These they donned, and the king in his own person made graciously returned thanks to CRC and his companions, after which the royal persons departed upon a ship. CRC and his three privileged friends then rejoined the other artist, making no mention of that which they had seen. Later, the entire party were assigned handsome chambers, where they rested till morning. The Seventh Day In the morning, Virgo Lucifera announced that each of the wedding guests had become a knight of the golden stone. That aged warden then presented each man with a gold medal, bearing on one side the inscription, Are not me. A-R-N-A-T-M-I. And on the other, ten na f. T-E-M-N-A-F. The entire company returned in twelve ships to the king's palace. The flags on the vessels bore the signs of the zodiac, and CRC set under that of Libra. As they entered the lake, many ships met them, and the king and queen together with their lords, ladies, and virgins rode forth on a golden barge to greet the returning guest. Atlas then made a short oration in the king's behalf, also asking for the royal presence. In reply, the aged warden delivered to Cupid, who hovered about the royal pair, a small curious-shaped casket. CRC and the old lord, each bearing a snow-white ensign with a red cross on it, rode in a carriage with the king. At the first gate stood the porter with blue clothes, who upon seeing CRC begged him to intercede with the king to release him from that post of servitude. The king replied that the porter was a famous astrologer who was forced to keep the gate as a punishment for the crime of having gazed upon Lady Venus reposing upon her couch. The king further declared that the porter could be released only when another was found who had committed the same crime. Upon hearing this, CRC's heart sank, for he realized himself to be the culprit, but he remained silent at that time. The newly created Knights of the Golden Stone were obliged to subscribe to five articles drawn up by His Royal Highness. 1. That they would ascribe their order only to God and His handmaid, Nature. 2. That they should abominate all uncleanness and vice. 3. That they should always be ready to assist the worthy and needy. 4. That they should not use their knowledge and power for the attainment of world dignity. 5. That they should not desire to live longer than God had decreed. They were then duly installed as knights, 
which ceremony was ratified in a little chapel, where CRC hung up his golden fleece and his hat for an eternal memorial. And here he inscribed the following, Summa Scientia Nihil Skyer, Frauder Christianus Rosencruz, Esque Ori Lapidus, Anno 1459. After the ceremony, CRC admitted that he was the one who had beheld Venus, and consequently must become the porter of the gate. The king embraced him fondly, and he was assigned to a great room containing three beds, one for himself, one for the aged lord of the tower, and the third for old Atlas. The chemical marriage here comes to an abrupt end, leaving the impression that CRC was to assume his duties as porter on the following morning. The book ends in the middle of a sentence, with a note in italics presumably by the editor. Under the symbolism of an alchemical marriage, medieval philosophers concealed the secret system of spiritual culture whereby they hoped to coordinate the disjecta membra of both the human and social organisms. Society they maintained was a threefold structure and had its analogy in the triune constitution of man. For as man consists of spirit, mind, and body, so society is made up of the church, the state, and the populace. The bigotry of the church, the tyranny of the state, and the fury of the mob are the three murderous agencies of society which seek to destroy truth, as recounted in the Masonic legend of Hiram Abif. The first six days of the chemical marriage set forth the processes of philosophical creation through which every organism must pass. The three kings are the threefold spirit of man, and their consorts the corresponding vehicles of their expression in the lower world. The executioner is the mind, the higher part of which, symbolized by the head, is necessary to the achievement of the philosophical labor. Thus the parts of man, by the alchemists symbolized as planets and elements, when blended together according to a certain divine formula, result in the creation of two philosophic babes, which fed upon the blood of the alchemical bird, become rulers of the world. (laughs) From an ethical standpoint, the young king and queen resurrected at the summit of the tower and ensouled by divine light represent the forces of intelligence and love, which must ultimately guide society. Intelligence and love are the two great ethical luminaries of the world and correspond to enlightened spirit and regenerated body. The bridegroom is reality, and the bride the regenerated being who attains perfection by becoming one with reality through a cosmic marriage wherein the mortal part attains immortality by being united with its own immortal source. In the hermetic marriage, divine and human consciousness are united in holy wedlock, and he in whom this sacred ceremony takes place is designated as Knight of the Golden Stone. He thereby becomes 
a divine philosophic diamond composed of the quintessence of his own sevenfold constitution. Such is the true interpretation of the mystical process of becoming a bride of the Lamb. The Lamb of God is signified by the golden fleece that Jason was forced to win before he could assume his kingship. The flying lion, the lion, <laughs> the flying lion is illumined will. The flying hymen. <laughs> yeah. The flying lion is illumined will, an absolute prerequisite to the achievement of the great work. The episode of weighing the souls of men has its parallel in the ceremony described in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Book, Book of the, the Dead. Book, Book of the, the Dead. dead. The wall city entered by CRC represents the sanctuary of wisdom, wherein dwells the real rulers of the world, the initiated philosophers. Like the ancient mysteries after which it was patterned, the Order of the Rose Cross possessed a secret ritual which was lived by the candidate for a prescribed number of years before he was eligible to the inner degrees of the society. The various floors of the Tower of, of Olympus represent the orbits of the planets. The ascent of the philosophers from one floor to another also parallels certain rituals of the Eleusian mysteries and the rites of Minthras, wherein the candidate ascended the seven rungs of a ladder or climbed the seven steps of a pyramid in order to signify release from the influences of the planetary governors. Man becomes master of the seven spheres only when he transmutes the impulses received from them. He who masters the seven worlds and is reunited with the divine source of his own nature consummates the hermetic marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get all the... Symbolism answered? Sure. At the end there? Yeah. Some of it you knew as we were going. As I was listening to it, going, this is one weird-ass acid trip. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> at first I was like, is he still dreaming? I was like, no, because he's falling asleep. Okay, so this is, this is quote-unquote real, okay? All right. Now they're going through a hole again. (laughs) Lots of virgins. Oh, lots of virgins. The only thing I really didn't understand was just like the different like letters on the coins and. Okay. Yeah. The SC to SM, SPN, DLS. Like. Donkey looks sexy. Small cock. Stinky man. Uh, what were the other ones? <laughs> but I honestly quit writing them down because I was like, okay, these don't. Make I any I sense. couldn't keep up with some of them as it was cha- as he was reading. I was like, uh, somewhere around here. It was an interesting story, though. Yeah, it was. I was. I mean, it was actually a good story. It was just out there. Yeah. Now I'll say there was. One thing I wrote down as you were reading that story, they kept popping in my head, and I'm sure it's because we watched Sorcerer's Stone today. But 
I was totally feeling Harry Potter vibes at the beginning of this. Oh, yeah? Because, first of all, he gets delivered the invitation via the eye-winged woman. Uh-huh. Made me think of Harry Potter getting the invitation via the owl. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> they arrive at this weird-ass castle. Yeah. Where they're all sorted into groups. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> then it goes a little weird, but then you get the phoenix that pops up. Oh, which is the bird. The bird. I don't know. There were just little bits and pieces that that was where my head was going through the whole thing. But uh, let me tell you, if I was invited to a wedding like that, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't RSVP. <laughs> uh, weird ass Your choices are that wedding or the red wedding, which I know you haven't seen Game of Thrones. Nope. Everyone dies. So, well, uh, half of them die in this one. So, well, you have a better chance of surviving <laughs> this one. <laughs> this is the red and white wedding. Um, and red and white, that's seen across so many different philosophies and traditions. It's like the red and white dragon in the tale of Merlin underneath the uh, castle. Yeah. The vessels that showed to him the prophecies of Merlin. Um, the red and white found in the uh, crucifixion. The blood of Jesus and the sweat of Jesus collected into the goblets. All of Crowley, <coughs> Crowley's writing. Oh, yeah. The red with blood and the white. Uh, well, use your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> the rose and the rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. It was, there was a lot of different symbolism in there, and you could probably take it a million different ways. Oh, so. yeah. Very interesting story. A very strange wedding. Yeah, I don't want to go. It's a nice day for a white and red wedding. Okay, so (laughs) I did another flip. And this is interesting because there was three. The light was called into the the king and the queen twice. Or three Three times. times. Uh And this is the three sons. S-U-N-S. The solar orb, like the nature of man, was divided by the ancient sages into three separate bodies. According to the mystics, there are three suns in each solar system, analogous to the three centers of life in each individual constitution. They are called three lights, the spiritual sun, the intellectual or solar sun, and the material sun, now symbolized in Freemasonry by three candles. The spiritual sun manifests the power of God, the Father. The solar sun radiates the life of God, the Son. And the material sun is the vehicle of manifestation for God, the Holy Spirit. I say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Man's nature was divided by the mystics into three distinct parts, spirit, soul, and body. His physical body was unfolded and vitalized by the material sun. His spiritual nature was illuminated by the spiritual sun, and his intellectual nature was redeemed by the light of grace, the solar sun. And the solar sun is spelled (laughs) S-O-U-L-A-R. Fancy. The alignment of these three globes in the heavens was one explanation offered for the peculiar fact that the orbits of the planets are not circular, but elliptical. The pagan priest always considered the solar system as a grand man, 
and drew their analogy of the, these three centers of activity from the three main centers of life in the human body, the brain, the heart, and the generative system. The transfiguration of Jesus describes three tabernacles, the largest being in the center, the heart, and a smaller one on either side, the brain, and the generative system. It is possible that the philosophical hypothesis of the existence of the three suns is based upon a peculiar natural phenomena do, 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 do. which has occurred many times in history. In the 51st year after Christ, three suns were seen at once in the sky, and also in the 66th year. In the 69th year, <laughs> two suns were seen together. That's a weird 69. (laughs) (laughs) According to William Lilly, who's an astrologer, between the years 1156 and 1648, 20 similar occurrences were recorded. Recognizing the sun as the supreme benefactor of the material world, Hermeticists believed that that there was a spiritual sun which ministered to the needs of the invisible and divine part of nature, human and universal. And in this subject, the great Paracelsus wrote, quote, Now, when it comes to Paracelsus, I prefer his, his uh, full name, which is Philippus Aurelius Neophrastus Vastus von Vohenheim, or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> yes. But, quote, There is an earthly sun, which is the cause of all heat, and all who are able to see him may see the sun, and those who are blind and cannot see him may feel his heat. There is an internal sun, which is the source of all wisdom, and those whose spiritual senses have awakened to life will see that sun and be conscious of its existence. But those who have not attained spiritual consciousness may yet feel the power by an internal faculty, which is called intuition, unquote. Would that be like the solar plex? Uh, I think so, the solar plexus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see where this ties in with that. And um, I suppose like the third eye or the primordia center in the uh, brain. Yeah. Certain Rosicrucian scholars have given special appellations to these three phases of the sun. The spiritual sun they called Vulcan, the solar and intellectual sun Christ and Lucifer, respectively, and the material sun, the Jewish Demiurgus Jehovah. Lucifer here represents the intellectual mind without the illumination of the spiritual mind. Therefore, it is the false light. The false light is finally overcome and redeemed by the true light of the soul, called the second logos. The secret processes by which the Luciferian intellect is transmuted into the Christly intellect constitute one of the great secrets of alchemy, and are symbolized by these processes of transmuting base metals into gold. In the rare treatise, The Secret Symbols of the Rosicrucians, Fan Hartzman defines the sun's alchemy as, quote, The symbol of wisdom, the center of power or heart of thanks, 
The sun is a center of energy and a storehouse of power. Each living being contains one itself, a center of life, which may grow to be a sun. In the heart of the regenerated, the divine power, stimulated by the light of the Logos, grows into a sun which illuminates his mind. Unquote. And that's what you're kind of talking about with the solar plexus. Mm -hmm. The uh, center that we breathe energies in and out of. In a note, the same author amplifies his description by adding, quote, The terrestrial sun is the image or reflection of the invisible celestial sun. The former is in the realm of spirit, with what the latter is the realm of matter. But the latter receives its power from the former, unquote. In a majority of cases, the religions of antiquity agree that the material visible sun was a reflector rather than a source of power. The sun was sometimes represented as a shield carried on the arm of a sun god, as, for example, Frey, the Scandinavian solar deity. The sun reflected the light of the invisible spiritual sun, which was the true source of light, life, and truth. The physical nature of the universe is receptive. It is a realm of effects. The invisible causes of these effects belong to the spiritual world. Hence, the spiritual world is the sphere of causation. The material world is the sphere of effects, while the intellectual or soul world is the sphere of mediation. Thus, Christ, the personified higher intellect and soul nature, is called the mediator, who by virtue of his position and power says, quote, No man cometh to the Father but by me, unquote. What the sun is to the solar system, the spirit is to the bodies of man, for his natures, organs, and functions are as planets surrounding the central life, or sun, and living upon its emanations. The solar power in man is divided into three parts, which are termed the threefold human spirit of man. All three of these spiritual natures are said to be radiant and transcendent, United, they form the divinity of human. Man's threefold lower nature, consisting of his physical organism, his emotional nature, and his mental faculties, reflects the light of his threefold divinity and bears witness of it in the physical world. Man's three bodies are symbolized by an upright triangle, his threefold spiritual nature by an inverted triangle. Those two triangles, when united, form a six pointed star which was adopted by the Jews as the Star of David, the signet of Solomon, and the more commonly known today as the Star of Zion. These triangles symbolize the spiritual and material universes linked together in the constitution of the human creature who partake of both nature and divinity. Man's animal nature partakes of the earth, his divine nature of the heavens, his human nature of the mediator. Now, in the tradition I follow, we have Awen, which is personified by the uh, three rays of light. Yeah. And also, in the AODA, which I'm a part of, we call upon the three currents. The current of below, which um, is attached to the earth, the telluric current. 
the current of above, which is attached to the sun, and when those two fuse in the right combination, they give birth to the lunar current, um, which is part of that philosophy as well. Which makes sense because it's part of a Masonic philosophy. Yeah. And our order was actually founded as a Masonic order. Well, you see the collection of threes, and we've talked about that before. I think it was in our superstitions episode. Mm-hmm. Just the correlations of three across the board in all religions and spiritualities and things like that. And you can definitely see that when one of those is knocked out, it leads to a lot of confusion. Yeah. It's kind of like in, in the scientific uh, luminism. They accept man's mind and man's body, but when they take out man's spirit, it's like, well, what connects the mind and the body together? What mediates between the two? Well, we don't know, because we can't, uh, we don't have the tools to find it and research it. Yeah. So we're just going to pretend it doesn't exist. That's what man does best. Yes. Or uh, certain traditions that rely exclusively on, like, man's divinity rather than man's nature where everything you do in this world is bad and evil and you need to stop. It leads people to uh, not wholeness, definitely. <laughs> need to find Jeebus. Yeah. Need to find Jeebus and quit giving in to your primal desires. Oh, but they're so much more fun. <laughs> well, like we were talking about earlier with the whole revel- the revelations. <laughs> it's not revelations happening outside. It's the revival. <laughs> it could, <laughs> it could be. be I don't know. It's pretty close to revelations. <laughs> but I didn't hear no trumpets. <laughs> I heard some guitars and some drums. Sweet. Um, but, you know, we will cast these demons from your soul. And I was like, you know what? I, my, di- my demons and I are finally working in a balance. Like, I just want to keep them where they're at. <laughs> oh, yeah. I finally just accepted my demons out loud. So we're, we're still working on it, but we're, we're well, it took It good. took me 38 years to get here, and you yeah. got a few more <laughs> to go. So, And for so long, ceremonial magicians, they relied fully on either working with the demons or working with the angels. It's only really in the last 20 years where you see texts that, teach a student how to work with them both at the same time and the effects people get are phenomenal from that on both an internal and an external level i get that but also i feel like you it's like sitting in the room between your two divorced parents (laughs) 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 yeah it's like oh god please don't start a fight in front of me again oh god (laughs) and then that's where you become the mediator between the two (laughs) (laughs) it's like that family meeting we had where I had to yell at all the adults to sit. All the adults, like I'm not an adult, but sit down and shut the fuck up. We need to be adults in this situation. <laughs> all the people that were adults when you were a kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it was. It's interesting. That's for sure. Like, there does have to be a balance. Yeah. And I mean, you can take that onto the smaller scale. You know, you've got to have a balance between. Yourself, your family, and everyone outside of that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Whatever that third leg yeah. is career or um, yeah. spiritual practice or yeah. anything. And so many of us either forget about ourselves or forget about our family mm-hmm. and get too drawn into the outer force and that throws us out of whack. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you got to get learn how to balance the three. Yeah, going along with the symbolism of it, you got to make sure both triangles are the same size and centered on each other so they look like the Star of Zion or the Solomon Seal. Yeah. If they're starting to look more like an hourglass or more like a a big, uh, what, rhombus, <laughs> you need to <laughs> square it out a little. Mine has 12 sides. What did I do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Mine's a doa. Deca, or deca, yeah, there we go. Mine fell into just a pile of sticks. <laughs> <laughs> what is going Mine on looks here? Like a house of cards that was toppled over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to play a 52 card pickup, so it just is how it is. <laughs> One day you'll brush it into a pile. But <laughs> <laughs> At least I know it's all there, okay? <laughs> but yeah, it's a pretty cool book. Pretty thick book. It, uh, I mean, like, this is a part one. Book. It has like 700 and looks like 10 pages. That's part one? No, that's oh. the whole thing. Oh, I thought you said this is part one, and I was like, no, part the part one episode. Oh. This is just our first exploration oh. into yes. it. We'll probably do this again. Because there's some fascinating stuff in here. Yeah, it's very interesting. We picked that up. We got it on a discount at Barnes Noble because it had something spilled on it. Mm-hmm. That was at the time that we went that I was very disappointed in their lack of anything but Christian. So what you're saying books. is go in there with a drink mm-hmm. and just spill it on the books you want. <laughs> 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 And go in there with like a can of soda, like hidden somewhere, and a little spray gun, and just there's a Starbucks right in the middle. You can just go up to the get yourself a coffee. frappuccino and and trip, spill it. Oh no, I spilled it all on these books. Well, I'll go ahead and buy these, but we just count them because they're split. <laughs> you find the section you really want, and you're just, my luck. I'd all get like I'd find the section that had forty copies of the one book that I don't want. Yeah, and. I come home with 40 copies of a book that I don't fucking want. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone needs kindling. (laughs) Very expensive kindling. Very expensive kindling, yes. (laughs) I can just host a book burning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. People bring other books. No, 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 no. We're not burning those. Just these. You got 47 copies of the Holy Bible. I mean, we. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, Amy. Oh, no, there was a church that was doing a book burning and they were burning a bunch of, a bunch of books. And there was a gay couple that showed up and started burning Bibles (laughs) and then making out in front of everybody. (laughs) I was like, yes, that is fucking awesome. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) Stick it to the man. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that, that, uh. Minister, I, f- I forget his name. It's something Locke. I remember that because Locke and Key. Yeah. I can't remember his first name, but he's part of a deliverance ministry. Yeah. Which is like the people that bring people up on stage and exercise demons out of them. <laughs> I just um, want to be one of those. Just walk up there and then watch them do it. Just stare at them like, yeah, nothing happened. Just <laughs> <laughs> everyone walks up in front of you, hits, you know, they act, you know, touches their forehead, they fall over, and you just walk up and be like, 
You're going to be need to be stronger than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just he watches, he puts his hand on you, and you reach up and you put your hand on him. <laughs> but um, the flames. <laughs> one, one of the latest things that he's talking about is he has witches in his congregation, which it's a bad place for them to be in when you have an enemy amongst your own people. Because Jim Jones, he did this as well. He put an enemy amongst them. And then they all started turning in on each other. And, I mean, we saw where that led. So, I mean, I kind of feel for the people that are blindly following this guy. Because I think it's going to end very tragically. Yeah. Well. But but maybe I'm wrong. That's also another reason why I really have no desire to go to any kind of church and have any kind of ministry done. Simply because I don't want to be a part of that. Because in all honesty, any church can become a cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's just not something I want to even have been in the beginning works of. You know? But then again, there is no church for the, church or for the uh, religion of Amy. So therefore, since I am the minister and I am the only practitioner that... We just we just told service wherever we are. Yeah, and I've been there for a few. Of them. <laughs> no, I think that's the problem with most religions is relig- like organized religion is it can be taken too far by one deranged person. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was watching a documentary on Jim Jones the other day, and I was just sitting there thinking, man, what is it like to be able to just blindly follow somebody like that? Last podcast on the left did a four-part series, and he started as a tent revivalist, like helping people like pay their electric bills and like doing like food drives. And I think when you get in on the ground floor of that, it's hard to turn your back on it. It's kind of like watching a family member fall into addiction. Mm-hmm. You rely on that version of themself that was before the addiction and you don't want to abandon them yeah i don't know like for me it's a red flag anytime anybody has followers like that like and i'm talking not just religiously like politicians Mm -hmm. and just general people when they've just got a group of people blindly following them and not questioning anything they say it just yeah uh, if, if somebody's too sweet of a talker i'm always like mm. yeah i don't know you you get mm. <laughs> and yeah it doesn't have to be a religious thing it could be political it could be philosophical um i mean think back to the one teacher maybe you had a teacher in school that you liked everything they had to say go back and question that you know I mean, I had teachers I liked. But I I say, I'm pondering. I don't have, like, there's there's still a teacher that, like, I follow on Facebook, and I still like a lot of what she has to say, but I don't agree with her on everything. Uh, no, I've never. Well, I mean, uh, it's also, look back at the, just the education we received. I mean, look at what we found out about Christopher Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, 
growing up, you're told to never question mm-hmm. the authority figures. And that always made me question, why the hell am I not supposed to question you? Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or even esotericism. I mean, esotericism has been hidden from us. I mean, we all learned about um, the guy who wrote about gravity, Isaac Newton. But did you know that probably 80% of his writing was actually about alchemy? Esoteric, spiritual alchemy? Alchemy was something I didn't even know of until I was mm-hmm. in college. Like, yeah, something I had never really heard of. I only knew it from video games. Well, that's why I started learning was from video games and like cartoons. I mean, my uh, Full Metal Alchemist was like the first one I really like <laughs> learned about it because they actually do a pretty good job of explaining it in that anime. Yeah, they do. And I was like, okay. And that's why I first started. Looking. That's actually kind of cool. And then I started. Then you know, as you get more into the cult, you're like, oh, this is actually a lot bigger. It's like, yeah, I never taught about this at all. There's I, a whole secret history, you know. Uh, Johnny Appleseed, we know about him. He was um Swedeborgian prophet, uh, a student of Emanuel Swedeborg, <laughs> or uh, Sw- Swedenborg, mumbling. Well, it's one of those things, like, I went to school for three years for psychology along with two years of psychology in high school. Mm-hmm. Never once did I know how many psychologists were occultists. Oh yeah, and it was like all of them. Oh yeah, and I yeah. was like, well, now I understand why I get like I understand these people. <laughs> Freud was like the only one that didn't like it. Now, Freud was too worried about his ones. cocaine. I feel, so. <laughs> I feel like you almost have to be because yeah. the ones that say you know are religious like Christian, they don't look at it correctly like oh don't worry you're fine you're just jesus is with you you got <laughs> like, some that demons. doesn't fix the problem the like, demons are making you hear voices so we're gonna sit here and we're gonna pray it out of you all right <laughs> we're gonna pray the gay away okay <laughs> now um dion fortune was a christian occultist yeah and she was one of the most sought after psychologists during world war one well and i mean it's just one of those things that I, the things that you don't learn about in school. Oh, yeah. And like I said, I went to school uh, technically five years with psychology and never once was any of that touched on in any of my classes. Oh, yeah, the entire Renaissance. I mean, pretty much what they teach us about Western history is that um, after the fall of the Catholic Church, there was like plagues and then like Shakespeare. And then all of a sudden we're in the wild, wild west. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, American Revolution. (laughs) But they don't really even talk about like the French Revolution, the English Revolution, any of those. And then all of a sudden we're, everybody's just Christian until the 1950s. (laughs) Taking it to something simple that we just did the other day. The movie Fantasia. I thought the movie Fantasia ended with the dancing elephants and the dancing hippos. Yeah, I did not know there was a whole like demonic scene afterwards with naked chicks. Well, they were harpies. Oh, harpies! <laughs> and I was Bird like, chicks. I was like, this was never in any edition of Fantasia that I ever saw. But this is fucking awesome. <laughs> but I mean, it just those parts were just left out. Yeah, if you never saw it, go check it out. Yeah, it's very fascinating. Good music too. Yeah. It's got Ave Maria. Ave. Speaking of dancing hippopotamuses, 
I have a song for Yay! the listener. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. I don't want no dolls or dinky tinker toys. I just want a hippo to play with and enjoy. I see me now on Christmas morning. Stumbling. down the stairs. Oh, what a joy and a surprise. When I open up my eyes and see a hippo hero standing there. <laughs> that was for you, Kira. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, bravo, bravo. <laughs> I might have to make a whole line of hippo Christmas. Actually, I'll do a hippo winter holidays line. So <laughs> I'll have like a hippo with a Santa hat. I'll have a hippo with the 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 cat, the horse skull and the ribbons. No. What's it called? Uh, the 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 Marilord. Yeah. Is it Saturnalia that has that? Uh, it's a Welsh festival. Well, okay. I'll have a Krampus hippo. <laughs> I'll have a hippo lighting some a menorah. I'll just do this all up and I'll just yeah, have the, a whole line. <laughs> the Marrow Lord, it's you go door to door with it and you knock on the person's door and then you recite poetry and mm-hmm. they have to recite poetry back. And if they can't, they have to give you their beer. Okay. It's an awesome, awesome. <laughs> it's where um, part of caroling came from. It. Yeah, I remember we talked about it on our winter. You got holidays. A, you got a rap battle, a, a horse skull <laughs> to keep your booze. <laughs> <laughs> the Welsh people are fucking amazing. <laughs> and then you see also the the horse skull in certain uh, Samhain uh, rituals around yeah. uh, Ireland. <clears throat> A hippo, you know, with the Yule log. Yeah, yeah. A hippo sitting around a fire telling ghost stories. I love it. I totally am going to do this. It's a were hippo. It may take me about 50 years. A hippo squatch. Hippo squatch. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, episode 200 is coming up quick. It's coming up very Get quick. Your brackets Get your in. brackets in. If so you want to win some cool prizes. One thing I know for sure we're going to have is we're going to have a UMP Normalcy coffee mug. We'll have some stickers. And I'm working on a few other things that we'll have in our little prize packages. Ooh. Um, there's something you want to see in a prize package, let me know. We'll see if I can make it happen. No, my feet picks are not part of it. Dave's are. <laughs> no. Uh, my feet? <laughs> I got mailman feet. <laughs> I got old, old used to be in the infantry feet. <laughs> you want to see bunions? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I got cut off and reattached feet. So, oh, no feet picks. Sorry. So, it's going to take a special, <laughs> special crew to what our feet picks. <laughs> this is why our OnlyFans didn't take make off. It. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. But we podcast because we love it. <laughs> we got the feet for podcasting. <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it. Unless anybody else has anything else they would like to share. Sure. Trying to think if there's... No, there's no announcements or anything. There's no cool new podcast I've stumbled across. 
No. All right. So be sure to go and check out all the Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows at tgmpodcastnetwork.com. And we've got Faith Blind Council, Lux Occult, Smuts Up, Ad Hoc History, Administrism, Primordia, XV Planus, and Grognostics. And don't forget our brother over there at Weird Web Radio. One day we'll get him over in our... Oh, and our, uh, and our fellow Stadies over at, which is unknown. Our fellow Okies. Mm-hmm, fellow Okies. Um, make sure you go and like us, follow us, and all that fun stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. Join our Discord group. We can sit and chat. We can play games. We can share pictures and stories and all that fun, jazzy stuff. Uh, also, don't forget to go to Parabox Monthly and in, use the link in the show notes and promo code Paranormalcy at checkout to get 10% off your order. I am wearing my Wendigo shirt. Where did he come from? Where, Where did, did he go? go? Wendigo. And <laughs> Halloween season. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Oh, yeah. We're... Halloween like in May or six April? Six months away. It's April. This is April. Halloween in April. Mm-hmm. You got Christmas in July. You got Halloween in April, right? Makes sense? Sure. <laughs> is it six months? Yeah. Roundabout. Well, we're in the horny season yeah. now. Yeah. So It'll yeah. be the spooky season before we know it. Yeah. So if it's, it's Christmas in July, then we have to have Halloween in April. I'm down with Halloween 12 years. 12 years. years. 12 months <laughs> yeah. of the year. 12 years of Halloween. <laughs> 12 years of Halloween, cool. I'd go, I'd go live at Halloween Town with yeah. Jack Skellington. And this is Halloween. This is Halloween. Anyway, use the link in the, <laughs> the show's notes and go to HalloweenCostumes.com and start getting your spooky gear on. Bet you they got a lot of clearances from last year getting prepped up for this year. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. Anyway, I think that's going to do it for this episode and this week. So until next time. Keep digging. (laughs) Unearthing Paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com.